Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, um, guess what? Sheck didn't know what I preached on this morning, but it is all about keys. <laughs> and uh, I brought my keys along not because I wanted to use them as an illustration, but because I need them for everything that I do. Have you ever lost your keys and couldn't find them? Anyone ever had that experience? Has it ever happened just before you're about to go somewhere? Isn't that annoying? Like, you can't, you can't drive a car unless you can find the key. You can't even... I mean, if you lock the door of the house and you don't have the key to get back in, you're in trouble, right? So you've got to have your keys with you. And I've got a whole bunch of keys. I've got a gate key. I've got my... My trusty Cronulla Sharks house key. Um, not that trusty as the team didn't make it. But anyway, um, I've got the church key for here. I've got two car keys. Um, I've got lock, lock keys and all sorts of keys here. But you know what? If I lost that, there'd be a whole bunch of things I wouldn't be able to access. And just this week as I was thinking about what the Lord wanted me to bring as a message, it occurred to me that a lot of the times, we, in the church, in our Christian life, we, we live as though we've lost the keys. See, God has given us access to a whole bunch of stuff in life. He's given us opportunity. Um, through the finished work of the cross, what Jesus did, and how when he finished what he did. If you recall when Jesus died, the last thing he said before he died is, it is finished. And what he accomplished was that he became, um, he became the sacrifice that, that shut down all the curses that come against us in this life so that we could walk into freedom. But we walk into freedom through an open door. And Jesus said, I am the door. So if you want to walk into freedom, you've got to walk through Jesus. You've got to walk through the door. Anytime you want to get from one place to another, you've got to go through something or pass something in order to get there. And a lot of the time, the door's locked, the gate's locked, and you need a key to unlock the gate to get through. And as I began to reflect on my own life and my own journey, I, I discovered that even though as a Christian from a very young age, I knew God, and I knew what it was like to walk with God. There were many times in my journey where my lack of understanding of what God has made available to me um, was the thing that stopped me from being able to access all that God has. I didn't know when I was young that you could access miracle healings. I just didn't know that. Even though it's all through the Bible, I just didn't know that someone could be healed. I didn't know that um, if, the, you know, if you get sick, you could ask God or you could have a way of, through God, a way of recovering miraculously or quickly. Um, I also didn't know much about the devil and I didn't know that sometimes the things that happen to us in this life are actually not from God but from the enemy and I didn't know that if you learned how to shut certain doors in your life, you could stop the enemy from coming and 
stealing, killing, and destroying in your life. And so as I reflected on my life just this week, I realized that I've had a whole bunch of stuff stolen from me over the years because I didn't know that I had all these doors open in my life that were just allowing the enemy to come and rob from me all the time. And then I had a whole bunch of doors which God had made available to me, but they weren't open because I didn't have the keys to, I didn't know how to get through. And so what I want to do tonight is just, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures and I want to unpack what these keys are, or some of the keys that I'm aware of that the Lord's shown me. And uh, hopefully we can come out of tonight with a general sense of how we can, one, access the things that God has for us and how we can also shut the doors that are meant to be shut in our life so that we can be protected um, and live a, a reasonably healthy Christian walk. You know, I, I reflected with our morning congregation this morning that Jesus said, in this life you're going to have trouble, right? But when he said that, he was talking about the fact that when we follow Jesus and walk in Jesus' path, the world isn't going to get that and they're going to persecute us. They're going to think we're stupid. They're going to tell us a whole bunch of stuff. They may even persecute us to the point of literal death or physical persecution. That's what Jesus meant when he said, in this life you're going to have trouble. He didn't mean, in this life you're going to have trouble. In other words, you're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes and you're going to have to suffer the consequences of those mistakes. He wasn't saying, in this life, you're going to have trouble as in your life is just going to be a complete mess. Get over it and get on with it, you know. That's not what he meant. And so the persecution, the, what the enemy does to us, what others do to us when we stand up for Jesus, now that is worthy persecution. And if Jesus said, you're going to have trouble, but rest assured I'm with you, wow, great. But he didn't say that the trouble that you're going to have is all this other trouble that a lot of us f struggle with. He didn't say, when he said that, he didn't say, okay, you're going to have depression and you're just going to have to live with it. You're going to have a body that's just wrecked and you're just going to have to live with it. You're going to have, you're going to have all these horrible things happen to you from the devil and you're just going to have to live with it. No, because when, when we read the full context of the Bible, we realize that Jesus gave us keys to deal with all of those things which are external, where the enemy comes. Jesus said the devil roars around like a, a prowling lion seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. He said, so be alert and be aware and have your guard up. And he's given us, even in Ephesians chapter 6, he gives us the um, full armor of God. He says, wear the full armor of God. In other words, be ready at all times. So he's given us a whole bunch of keys, and he wants us to live in this life, a life of fullness, a life of freedom, a life of prosperity, a life of health, um, as much as we can outside of persecution. And so I'm here to tell you that we can't escape persecution unless we just bury our heads in the sand and don't say anything about Jesus. Okay, that's not the, we're not here to lock those doors, to say, no, we're not going to get persecuted. The, the more we stand up for Jesus, particularly in this day and age, the more we're going to get persecuted. That's just a given. But I'm here to tell you that there's some keys and some doors we can lock, 
stop the enemy from getting at us, and there's some doors we can open that we can step into the good things of God, yeah? So, one of my favorite passages of Scripture about keys is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. And uh, it says here, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus turned to the disciples and says, Well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, now you're... Anyone know Simon? He's the guy who got the big mouth and he'll always say something, yeah? Every crowd has got someone who will always say something, yeah? Well, Peter was that guy, Simon. So his first, his, initially his name was Simon and they, he later became known as Simon Peter. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. So he's given him a new identity. He says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Everyone say, keys of the kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. See, Peter had got a revelation that this was God in the flesh. It's like, you are the son of God. You're the guy. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, you got that not from your own intellect, Peter, but from a revelation of heaven. And upon that revelation that you now acknowledge me as your Lord and Saviour, I am giving you the keys of the kingdom on that basis. Now, as we get to an understanding, first of all, we've got to understand that the authority that we have to have these keys comes from Jesus Christ and our acknowledging him, him as the Messiah. When we acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, what we're acknowledging is he's the king. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Son of God. And so we're acknowledging the kingdom of heaven. When we acknowledge the kingdom of heaven, we get given the keys. When we acknowledge the Son of God on that revelation that he's the Messiah, we get given the keys. And that's a beautiful thing because it's, it's on, a, on a revelation basis. We, when you know that Jesus is the Messiah, you're not going to turn away from him when you just know it. Now, of course, the devils, they know who he is. They know who he is, but they don't worship him. They're against him. We know who he is, or at least we have this belief that he is who he is, and so we choose to worship him. And as we do, as we put our trust in him, we get given keys. Now, I'm going to unfold in a little while what those keys are. I just want to read a couple more passages of Scripture. Um, I'm going to skip, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 1 and I'm going to look at, I think, just verse 17 and 18. Um, there's a whole background there, but I just don't want, to, don't want to hang on for too long. So, 
the background to this is that it was on the Lord's Day. John was entering into a vision. He saw Jesus come and Jesus said, write this down for the seven churches that were existing at the time. And he saw Jesus come to him and Jesus was carrying a set of keys. And, and he says, uh, and this is what Jesus said. Um, actually, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and hell. I hold the keys to death and hell. So Jesus has the keys. He's told Peter that he's going to give him the keys to heaven. Here he is in the end time revelation as the one who was dead and is now alive and he holds the keys, right? And then in Revelation 3, 7 it says, And these are the words of him who is holy and true and holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. The reason why I give you this background before I share with what you share with you what I'm about to share is that we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven and the keys to the kingdom of heaven are only found in Jesus Christ. So we can do all these things I'm about to share with you outside of Christ and I don't believe they'll have the impact or the effect they would have except that we're in Christ, okay? Jesus is our authority. The keys that we're talking about are actually a, a metaphor for spiritual authority. So if, for instance, if I was to say, okay, Luke, come and stand here for a minute. Luke will get very excited when I say this, but it's, I'm just, it's just an illustration, okay? Luke, here's the keys to the car. <laughs> yes, right? Right, okay. It'd be very irresponsible of me to give him the keys to the car until I've taught him how to drive. However, if I were to give him the keys and say, you can take the car now, I would be giving him authority to take the car, but when he has that authority, he goes and uses it, but then he also has a responsibility. And he'd probably die. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> but see, the thing is, right, if I give Luke the keys to the car, I'm giving him authority to drive that car. Um, I haven't given that to one of his mates. If he gives the keys to his mate, then he'd probably get into all sorts of trouble. You see what I'm saying? Um, but I could give him the authority to drive my car, and if I've done that, then he has the authority to drive it. If he drives down the road and he has an accident and the police come, and he'd just say, well, I was given authority to drive this car. I didn't steal it. <laughs> I actually have the right to drive this car, and uh, I could be in a whole lot of trouble right now, but, <laughs> you know. And the thing is, when we get given keys, we have authority, and the keys of the kingdom are a symbol of spiritual authority. Um, so what are the keys and how do we use them? Well, before I say that, I just want to acknowledge a couple of things, right? We've all got stuff in our life that we wish we didn't have. Um, and we've all got places we'd like to be able to go in God. If we know a little bit about God, we know a little bit about the kingdom, we go, oh, I'd like to access that. The Bible says it. It's a promise here. How do I get there? Well, if we've got those two things in mind, there's some things we'd like to shut down with things we'd like to open up. This is 
where I want us to go. All right? So the first key um, is what I've called decrees and declarations. It's with our spoken words that we have access to the things of God. And sometimes with our spoken words, we actually bring things in against us. When we decree or declare, make declarations over our own life, we actually have, our words have important, powerful um, effect. And a lot of the time we don't understand it. Now just for a minute, just think to what you know of the creation story. God created the whole earth and all that we have through the spoken word. Right? He said it and it was. God said, let there be light. And there was light. So he made a decree. He made a declaration, let there be light. So it's a kingdom of heaven declaration over the earth that there would be light and light was formed. Right? So if we get a revelation, an understanding that through the spoken word there is power. Right? The book of James tells us that we have to be careful what we say because the, power, the tongue is powerful. And we need to understand that as, as followers of Jesus Christ that not only do we have power in the tongue, but we have responsibility for what we say, who we say it to, and how we say it. If you make, for instance, if you've got a child and you're constantly telling that child that they're never going to amount to anything, you know, oh, you'll never amount to anything. If you do that, you're going to end up here, you know. What you've done is you've made a declaration. You've actually spoken over this child's life what would be classified as a curse. Now, we're not getting all spooky when we talk about curses. We're just saying it's a spoken word by a person in authority over another person's life. Yeah? So when a person in authority makes a declaration over the people or the person that they have authority over, those, those words have power. Um, you have the power to decree and declare over your own life because it's your life. God has given you the right to freedom of choice. So you have the right to speak over your own life. You have the right to speak over those whom are your blood. So I can speak over my children. I can speak over my wife because we are one. Now, if I choose to speak over you guys, it's only because... I'm the pastor or the leader of this church and you have come into an agreement where you're going to sit in an environment where, according to the word, you submit to my leadership. Okay? Now, if I'm a bad pastor, <laughs> bad pastor, right? There are a few of those around, let me tell you. And quite often, most of them are well-meaning but just well un uneducated in the things of the Bible. And they don't understand what they're doing. And they've probably got a, a bad culture which has created systems in place where they think they have a different kind of authority than God has actually given them and they misuse it. And a lot of people have come unstuck because they've had all these words that have been declared over their life. A parent who's a bad parent um, isn't always somebody who has bad intentions, sometimes it's bad culture. And for instance, you've got a, a person who loves their kids, but perhaps they're 
an alcoholic or perhaps they've got a mental health issue or perhaps they've got other things going on in their life that they are in that moment they don't have full control over and so in that environment you're raising a child and you're declaring and decreeing things over that child that can be quite destructive yeah now the other side of the coin is that when we declare and decree things that are promises of God and they're good things, what we're doing is we're unlocking doors of good into a person's life. So we can unlock doors that bring bad things into a person's life by decreeing things that are against the will of God over somebody or even over our own life. Imagine you're getting up every morning and the first thing you do when you get up, oh, my. I hate my life. My life sucks. I hate this job. This job sucks. You know? Imagine you constantly making these kinds of declarations and decrees over your life. I'm so sick of this, or I'm so sick of that. Imagine you making declarations of sickness over yourself all the time. I'm sick of this job, and suddenly you get sick, and you're constantly getting sick. You're either getting sick in your mind or you're getting sick in your body. Imagine we're doing that all the time because we hate our life. We hate the system. We hate the marriage we're in. We hate the financial situation we're in, and we're constantly declaring over ourselves. See, what's happening is when you make a declaration, you're not only speaking into the physical atmosphere, but you're speaking into the spiritual atmosphere. We don't understand these things, but we gotta, when you get, come back to the early accounts of Genesis and how, and then you just read through, and whenever God said do something, a lot of the times it was make a declaration or do something prophetically. And then when, you, and I'll get to that in a few moments, but Joshua, he made this, big statement where he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, he wasn't just saying that to a bunch of his friends. He's, he wasn't just saying, well, you guys can do whatever you want, but I'm going to serve the Lord. He wasn't just, he was actually making a declaration. As for me and my house, he was declaring to God and to the, all the heavens, I am serving the Lord. In other words, I'm after God. When you make a declaration that you're after God, that you're going to serve God, that's a declaration over your whole life. And when you put yourself in a position where you're following Christ, where you're of the kingdom of God, where you're of the things of God, then suddenly all the things of God become a part of your world. And God is good. And so you put yourself in a position where I'm a person of the kingdom of God. I am ahead and not the tail. God has plans to prosper me. God has healed my diseases. God, I... You know, by his stripes, I am healed. We make those declarations. So you find these things and you speak them over your life. What you're trying to do is you, you, you're cancelling out all the bad stuff. But you see, you might be speaking all those good things over your life, but cancelling that out by continuously speaking negatively over your life at the same time. And that could be just out of bad culture. We've got to get to a point where we recognise that our decrees and, decrees and declarations over our life are powerful. So you want to do something with your life. You want to follow Jesus. You want to step into health. You want to step into life, yeah? Yeah. Speak life over yourself. Speak life over your children. Speak life over your finances. Speak life over your job. Speak life over your job application. Speak life over your mind. 
speak life. Don't curse. Stop cursing yourself. You know, when someone else is doing it, just break that off. And I can tell you now that there are many people in the world today who are anti-Christ, anti-Christian, or anti-the church, or anti-marriage, or anti-family. And they speak these things out. They speak it out on social media. They speak it out sometimes directly over us in our conversations, in what, whatever we do. When you sense something just in the atmosphere around you, just go, you know what, I just, that's not me. And, and it's like just putting up a spiritual hand saying, no, that's not me. That's not who I am. And that's, I'm, I just don't accept that. That's not my world. That's not the world I live in. I will live in the kingdom of God. I don't live in that world. That's not me. That's not me anymore. That's not where I'm going, and that's not what I'm doing. And uh, I just want to encourage you, even prophetically, you see something written in the Bible, and you see it as a promise for all those who followed God, speak it out over your circumstances. Speak goodness of God over everything that you have. Thank him for what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And you'll, you'll see things begin to shift. Thank God for the new job. Thank God for the new house, if that's what you really believe in that God has. In, you know, and, and regardless of the outcomes, just keep thanking him. Don't turn around and curse him or curse yourself or curse somebody else by saying, oh, it's all your fault. We're in this situation because of you. We're in this situation because of this person or that situation or, or even cursing yourself by saying, oh, if I hadn't have done that 10 years ago, I'd be in a different place right now. You know what? You can't do anything about 10 years ago. You can't fix that. You can't fix yesterday. You can't fix it. You can't change yesterday. So you go, okay, I'm going to declare over myself that today is a brand new day. It's my Rosh Hashanah. It's the head of the year. I'm going into a new season, and I'm going to experience life at a whole different level. So you make these decrees and declarations. It's like turning a key and walking through a brand new door. Amen? All right, the second thing um, that I believe uh, is a key is our prayer and petitions. And this is where... We're not declaring over circumstances, but we're just talking to God, right? We're just bringing our stuff before God. That's a key as well. See, God calls us to pray. He, he calls us to declare and decree, to make statements over our things, to say it like it is. But he also calls us to bring our stuff before him. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you know that knocking on the door is a key? You might, not, you might say, well, I don't have a key to this door. Well, just knock. That's a key. Why? Because you knock, you get the attention of the person who has authority to open it. And if they come and open it, then you've just used a key. Just knocking is a key. Asking is a key. Seeking is a key. Because when you seek, the one whom you seek, who has the authority to open that door, which you don't necessarily think you've got authority to open, if that person 
then decides, because you've sought them out, because you've knocked, because you've asked, I'm going to open it, that's like using a key. It's like walking up and saying, hey, Paul, can I come in? Yes, you can. Come on in. You don't have a key, but how do I get into that house? I ask permission to get through that door. If you ask permission to get through that door and that one who has, can give you the permission says yes, then it's like having a key. So prayer is a key. All you have to do is pray in accordance with the will of the Father. So you walk up to a door and you knock and you say, can I come in and say, go away. Well, you don't have access to that one, right? Right? So when you're knocking on that occasion, you're not knocking with the will of the person on the other side of the door in mind. You might be a Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) Knock on the door and go away, you know. You might be one of those harassing people who ring everybody on the phone all the time, you know. Hi, I'm just ringing you to find out about your finance. Click. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not talking to you today. You don't have permission to have my time. Thank you very much. And you, you see, the thing is, when you come to a door, all you have to do is know the intention of the person on the other side of the door. And so when you knock, you have confidence that they will let you in. I have a relationship with my wife just as well. So if I didn't have my key to get in the house and I went home and knocked on the door, who's that? Paul. Oh, come on in. I know she's going to let me in unless we've had a bit of a fight. You know what I'm saying? You know? And then she, she might just say, you just stay out there just a little bit longer, honey. <laughs> right? Right? It just might be like that. You know? But the thing is, here's the deal, right? When you've got a relationship with somebody on the other side, who has the authority to open a door, then you can ask with confidence, right? Because you know their heart. That's what Jesus is all about. Ask, seek, and knock with the heart of the person who you know who has the power to open that door, and you know that they will open it because you know their heart. So you're asking what you know that they're going to say yes to. How do you get to know that? Read the Bible. Get to know him. Get to know his heart. Now, if you don't believe God wants to answer in a good way, it's probably because you have a bad understanding of who God is. So you don't know who he is. So you've got to get to know him for who he really is. Maybe your culture is wrong. If your culture says, well, God's a bad God and he doesn't like me, or maybe God's too high and lofty to allow me to do anything because I'm a bad person, you know, or I've done so many bad things. You know, you hear people say, I'm not going to go to church because the roof will cave in. You know, true. The, the reality is, is that, that all that says is that they don't really know God. And sadly, half the world would say that because they think, well, they've been taught that God is all about those 10 rules and the 600 other rules, and if you don't live up to those, you can't have relationship. And sometimes human parents are like that too to their kids. And so we grow up believing that when we do something wrong, our parents don't want to have anything to do with us no more. And we think that's the way God works too. And it's not true. Because when the disciples said, well, God, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone who does something wrong? And Jesus said, well, you just keep forgiving. Are we supposed to do it seven times, God? That's, that's like a pretty godly number, you know, seven. That's all, you're all about seven, aren't you? <laughs> and Jesus says, no, well, 70 times seven, how's that? And they're like, that's a lot, Jesus. You know, <laughs> duh. Keep, keep forgiving, because he's a good father, yeah? 
So we can come before him in, in prayers and petitions. Um, I love the story of Peter in jail. Not that I love the fact that he was in jail, but Peter was in prison, Acts chapter 12, and the church was praying. Right? The church wanted him free. You know what happened is in the middle of the night, an angel came along and unlocked the thing and got him out of the prison. How cool is that? Do you know that angels are assigned by heaven to do the work in accordance with our prayers? When we pray, angels are sent on assignment to do the work. So when we pray, God says, okay, they're praying in accordance to my will. Now, angels go and do the stuff, right? And Hebrews 1.14 is a good indicator of that. It says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews also says, I love this, it's kind of cool, says, don't be surprised. Well, actually, that's not what it says. That's my interpretation of what it says. Okay, I'm going to say what it says. It says, um, be careful when you entertain strangers, for you may, in fact, be entertaining an angel, unawares. Right? So imagine an angel. Imagine, for instance, Sharon, she's walking down, she gets to the last shop in that street after all those, and there's a little lady there who just signs all the paperwork, gets it all done, and the next day she goes back and that shop's all closed down, it's not there, and you can never find this person again. Imagine if it was an angel. Probably was. Quite possibly was. Imagine that. Imagine, you know, you, God wants to do something and he just sends an angel and they just rock up and say, hey, let's do this. Um, there's all sorts of stories like that in the Bible. All right, we'll go on to the next one because otherwise we'll run out of time. So that's the second one. Third one is obedience. Speaking in agreement with God is a powerful key. So the first two, right, who remembers what the first two are? Decrees and declarations is a key to unlock doors when you declare and decree over your life. Um, prayers and petitions are a key that unlock the favor of heaven, unlock God's, but we need to know the heart of the person who is our Father. We need to know the heart of the Father so when we ask according to His will, it is done. Right? Knock and it will be opened, it says. Obedience, speaking in agreement with God is powerful. However, obedience um, is also extremely powerful. So we can speak agreement, but we can obey. And if we can, you know, you can, you can say something, but if you don't follow through and do what God tells you to do, Sometimes you don't get that door opened, yeah? Philip um, was one of those guys who occasionally would encounter an angel. And on this particular occasion, he was walking along the road, and an angel just strolls up next to him and says, Hey, Philip, I need you to go over here and walk down by this road. And it's Acts 8.26, if you want to read it. God spoke to Philip through an angel telling him, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip's like, oh, an angel just told me to go down and walk along that road. I better do it. Now, if you don't do it, what's going to happen next wouldn't happen, right? 
Philip goes down there, and as he's walking along, he hears this guy reading out of the book of Isaiah, who's sitting in a chariot. He goes up and says, what are you reading? I'm reading this book. Do you understand it? No, I have no clue what it means. Would you like me to explain it to you? Yeah, I'd love you to explain it to me. He gets up and sits next to him, explains everything, not just Isaiah, but the whole story from creation right through to Jesus Christ. And this guy says, wow, that's amazing. I want to get saved. Can I get baptized? Yeah, let's find some water and do it. Let's get baptized. So he baptizes him. And the whole story all happens in this little short period of this journey where this guy gets saved, baptized, and next thing you know, oh, another miracle happens. Philip's like done his assignment. You know what happens? God just went boop, and Philip's gone, and he's over somewhere else now. This is Philip's life, daily living for the New Testament apostles. Wow, right? But this guy, right, Ethiopian eunuch, high-up official in the Ethiopian government, goes back to Ethiopia and a whole bunch of people get saved. And even today, 2019, there are people living in Ethiopia who are descendants of those who got saved back then. Right? All because Philip obeyed what God told him to do. Right? So obedience, what did it do? It unlocked the door. How many times are we... Now, I don't know about you, but for me, because I've been in ministry most of my adult life, I've wanted to serve God, and I just want doors to open, right? And I've found that if I just trust God to tell me what to do, and when he tells me what to do, I do it, then something happens. Sometimes we try so hard to do something for God, and it's like it's all in our own strength. And you wonder why nothing happens. And then we just... All we have to do is just wait on God and he says, do this. And you go, okay, I'll do that. And you do that and suddenly a door opens. You go, wow, that's cool. You know, and so these stories in our lives, I've got so many stories in my own life, but I, I just don't want to go on too, not, too much tonight because, um, you know, if I tell too many stories, it just goes on. But I'll tell you one. Um, no, I've shared this one before. Let's see, let's see if I can think of another one. I'll come back to it because I can't think of anything. No, some of you haven't heard it, I'll tell you. Simple. I'm driving along in the road and I see a guy on the side of the road and the Holy Spirit says, go and talk to that guy. Simple. Just, I heard, it was almost like an audible voice, but it wasn't. It was just an inner unction. Go and talk to this stranger. I'm like, I don't want to talk to a stranger. And I fought with God over it for a while. Eventually, I went and did it. So I hopped out of my car, I walked past him, and I didn't even know what to say. I just said, hey, God loves you. And out of that, I discovered that he was on his way to commit suicide. And I got to talk to him. I got to pray with him. And he went the opposite direction from where he was going. And I believe God saved him in that moment simply because of my obedience. When we want to see a door opened, we've got to be obedient to God. I believe that sometimes God tells you to do something small. And you think, that's insignificant. And you don't do it. And then you might be regretting it later on because God then, you're asking God for something and he says, well, you didn't do what I asked you to do, so that door's closed right now, you know? Sometimes you just got to do the things that God tells you to do. And sometimes they can be little things. Like, for instance, I was t talking to the Lord one day. I said, Lord, 
um, what do I need to do to see revival unlock over my life? He said, go and walk the dog. That's what he said. He said, walk the dog. I'm like, really? And I, I fought that. In, in turn, I'm thinking, that's just... I'm just, think, I'm just thinking things. I'm just, I'm, I'm a weirdo. Why would God tell me to walk the dog? Thinking, well, he obviously likes the dog, you know, or something like that. And I was like, well, do I do it once? Do I do it every day? What do I do? And you know what? I convinced myself that I was hearing things, and I didn't do it. How stupid. Like, how hard would it have been for me to just go, cool, I'll just walk the dog. Go and walk the dog. Just out of obedience to what I thought I heard God say. That wouldn't have been so hard. But I convinced myself that that was dumb. Why would God ask me to walk the dog? You know? Now, you might think to yourself, that's a really silly thing to say, Paul. But I'm just telling you, this is the conversation I had with the Lord. And I can honestly say that I didn't walk the dog. And it was about six months later, I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, I didn't walk the dog. I convinced myself I didn't walk the dog. So I went and walked the dog. And I'm walking the dog. I think, is this good God? You know, actually, I said to Shaq, I'm going to go walk the dog. She said, oh, can, can I come? You know, it's all right. <laughs> so we went and walked the dog. But um, well, it might have been too late by then. <laughs> I should have done it when he told me, hey. Yeah. I might have met someone to talk to. And revival might have broken out in the dog park. Who knows? You just don't know, do you? But I'm just being honest here. I didn't walk the dog, and I felt bad about it. And I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go walk the dog tomorrow morning, Luke. What do you reckon? (laughs) I'm coming with you. (laughs) Oh, by the way, if people don't know, Luke's come to live with us. That's, you know, so he's living in our house, and we're looking after him, so that's good. Yeah, so that's good. All right, so obedience. It's a key, and it unlocks things. If we are disobedient, I believe it's also a key, and it locks things. Or at least the door that's closed won't open. And the door that God, God will get you to do something, and it might not have anything to do with walking the dog. It might be just, I want you to be obedient in that, and then I'll do this. It's, okay, let's just be real practical for a minute. Two weeks ago, the Lord spoke to Shek and I said, take Luke in. Yeah? Now, imagine if we said, nah, that'd be, don't want to do that. We like our freedom. Um, nah. Maybe we heard that wrong. Maybe if I did the walk the dog scenario in my head and I just convinced myself that that wasn't a good idea and we're just not going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that this is connected but this week, so two weeks ago, God says, invite Luke into your house. This week, we're asking God for a loan. Imagine if somehow it's all connected. Your obedience here is all connected to his answer to your prayer over here. And I think sometimes we, when God says do something, you just got to honor that, even if you don't understand what the outcome is going to be. You know what I'm saying? And so as you be obedient, no matter how hard or maybe how silly or how insignificant it may seem at the time, or it might actually be a significant thing that God asks you to do, 
He might be asking you to do it simply because he wants you to honour him and then out of that comes something completely different. So the next time you're asking, seeking, knocking, he says, the door has already been prepared for you, you know? And uh, I think that's something we need to learn. All right, the fourth one is repentance. Um, James 5.16, I believe repentance, confession of sins is actually powerful. Um, Oftentimes in churches these days, they don't preach about it all that much. And uh, I think we probably need to. In fact, I believe that the next move of God, the next revival, the next outpouring of God, if it is going to be the last great revival that hits the earth, which all the prophets are saying, I believe one of the core components of that is going to be repentance, of people coming back to God and just falling on their knees and saying, God, I'm so sorry that I've lived for myself and I've done it all my own way. And, you know, we've had this amazing grace movement. We've come into an understanding of the grace of God. But in the midst of that, a lot of churches and a lot of streams have lost the awe of God and the holiness of God. And I believe that God's going to bring us back. But I believe repentance is the key that unlocks a whole bunch of stuff in our lives. It says in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Wow. So that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? Confess your sins and pray so that you may be healed. There's... The confession of sins here in this passage is tied to healing. The reason I believe it's tied to healing is because sin that is an unrepentant sin in our life can actually be a blockage, can actually be like a closed door where we are bound up. And we'll get to that in a little while. Um, Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. It's not saying you can't get angry, right? You get angry, it's a human emotion, yeah? You get angry. But it says, in your anger, don't sin. And then he unpacks it. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, or while you're still angry. In other words, if you get angry, don't hang on to it. If you hang on to it, then you enter into sin. And then it says, do not give the devil a foothold. You know that your anger can turn to sin if you harbor it. If you hang on to it. And if it turns to sin, what do you do? You give the devil a foothold. In other words, you, you create an open door to the enemy to come into your life. Right? And I believe that's with any sin. It's not just anger. But any time. See, all the human emotions are real. They're not sin. They're just normal emotions. We can get angry. We can get sad. We can be jealous. We can have all these things happen. But it's when we harbor them. We hang on to them. So, you know, you, get, you, you slam the door in someone's face, you will never come back into my house again. You will never. You know what I mean? The moment we do something like that, what we're doing is we're creating a place for the enemy. We don't realize we are because we're emotional and we're angry, but we're making a declaration and a decree. Now, we can go and cut that off immediately by repenting of it. I will never speak to you again. I never want to see that person again. I will never go back to that church ever again. 
What if God told you to? You'd have to repent real quick, wouldn't you? Because if God, if your obedience to unlock a door in your life meant God said, now go back to that church and say this to that pastor in repentance, whoa. What if God said, go back to this person who did this to you many years ago and tell them you forgive them? Or what if God said this? Or what if God said that? And you inwardly you're going, there's no way that's ever going to happen. There's no way that's ever going to happen. You know what's, even if you hear yourself saying there's no way that's ever going to happen, what you're revealing is that the devil has a foothold in your heart or in your mind. Immediately you know. It's a telltale sign that the devil has a foothold in your heart or in your mind because you've just said, God, you can't convince me to be obedient in this area. You can tell me everything else, but you can't tell me anything in this area because that's mine. Mine, 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 mine. I've been hurt here. You can't have it, God. This is my little thing I'm going to hang on to for the rest of my existence, and you can't get me. And God says, okay, well, that's sad because I really, really want to bless you, but I can't because there's a legal system in heaven, in the kingdom, that you don't understand, but I understand. This is God speaking, you know. There's a legal system, and unless you honor what I'm telling you to honor, I can't give you what I want to give you. Because there's a devil sitting over in this corner who's accusing you day and night. You see? That's why it says confess your sins. It's not because God needs to hear it. It's because when you repent, you break, you break the curse. You break the curse. And then the door is open for your healing. God can't open the door for your healing until the curse is broken because the enemy stands in the way and says, no, not letting that happen. Because there's a judicial system in the spirit realm that a lot of us don't understand. It's like going to court, but we do it in the heavens. Okay, so last one. So let me just go through them. Decrees and declarations, prayers and petitions obedience and repentance. They're all keys, yeah? The last one I want to talk about is binding and loosing, which is what Jesus talked about to Peter. He said, "Whatever, here are the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? So binding and loosing, what's that all about? Well, for a start, um, binding, let's see. Binding refers to the authority that we have to command a demonic influence to stop. Cease and desist. Desist. Is that right? Cease and desist? Yeah. Cease activity to leave in Jesus' name. We can bind a spiritual activity in our life. Gone. Right? So someone comes to your house uninvited. They walk in. You get out of my house right now. You have the authority. It's your house. Tell them to get out. Now, if they won't get out, you ring the cops. You say, I've got someone in the house. I've told them to, to leave. It's my house. I have the authority in this house. And you know what the cops do? They come and they get that person. They take them out of the house. Why? Because it's your house and you have authority. And so you've called the police. Who are the police? The angels of heaven, right? The angels come and operate in the spirit realm, right? 
So you make a declaration binding a spirit from your house. What is your house? Mm-hmm. This is my house. Mighty fine house it is. All right? If I don't say so myself. No, what I'm saying is I love myself. Not in a negative way, but God has told me I need to love myself. Because when I understand who I am, I understand he's made me. And I'm just going to honor the fact that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if, the, if it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, even if I've got aches and pains and even if I'm wearing out, I'm still going to honor. I'm not going to call my body stupid. Why? Because that's a decree I don't want to wear. I'm not going to tell myself old and decrepit because that's a decree I don't want to wear, Right? I don't want to wear that kind of stuff. And when I recognize and say what I'm doing all the time, I've got to repent of that and say, oh, that's not who I am because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the enemy comes in. I have the right to bind that spirit. Go. Now, sometimes we don't have the sense or the whereabouts to be able to do it on our own behalf. Someone else will do it for us. We go to someone else and say, would you pray for me? They say, well, what have you done wrong? <laughs> right? Now, sometimes... It is that way. It's just that there's a reason. You know, you maybe have let the sun go down on your anger. Maybe you haven't repented of hating somebody or whatever it might be. And the enemy just does have a foothold in your life and he's wreaking havoc in your life and you just got to get rid of him. The reality is, is you have the right to get rid of him yourself. You, you do. You have the right. It's my body. It's my life. But you've got to come into alignment with God's word and bind him, tell him to go. Loosing, on the other hand, has to do with what you permit. You loose something. You release it into your life, into somebody else's life, into the earth, in Jesus' name. Um, we can loose a person from a demonic bondage. I loose you, so you're not loosing the devil, you're loosing the person. I loose you from whatever's coming against you. I bind the devil and I loose you from that affliction. Right? And the weird thing is, we, because we read in the Bible, we use the words. We say, I bind you, devil. You're not going to tell an intruder in your house, I bind you. You can say, just get out. Get out. Right? We had a young guy here not that long ago. was getting some deliverance. So I just leaned over him. Didn't, I just went, get out. And he just went, and it was gone. I was like, huh, cool. I didn't have to go, I bind you in Jesus' name. <laughs> uh, you can do that, and it kind of sounds a bit, you know. But you don't have to, I'm just saying. Like, we do it because we read it in the Bible and we've seen it on too many movies. Um, but you just, if you know there's a spirit there, just say, get out. In Jesus' name, get out right now. Go. You have no more place in this place. And if it's got a reason to be there, it'll just stay until you deal with the reason. And it might be just that there's some sin or whatever needs to be dealt with. The name of Jesus, of course, is the master key. You know? So, and, and it's, it's, it's not just even about saying the name of Jesus, although it's powerful to use that the name of Jesus. But we're doing it in the name of Jesus. Whatever we're doing, we're doing in the name of Jesus. So we are like his ambassadors. He gave us the keys. And so if I give Luke the keys, then it's not his car, it's my car. 
but I've given him authority to drive it, and so he's driving that car on my behalf. Maybe I've given him a job, and I'll say, can you go to the shop? Here's the keys. Go and get this, this, that, and the other. Go pick someone up and bring him back here. Right? It's still my car, but I've given him the keys. Now, if I gave him the car, that's a different thing, but I'm just saying, for the, for the sake of the analogy, it's my car. He's got authority to drive it, but he's doing it on my behalf. And so whatever he does in that car, as long as he does what I ask him to do, he's going to be fine. Yeah? And that's what it's like in our life. Um, I'll tell you one story. I told this story this morning. Um, it kind of wraps all these things together. So I was ministering in um, Nairobi a number of years ago, and I got off the plane, and the pastor who had invited us in, he met me at the plane. He said, hey, Paul, nice to meet you. Um, I've got something I need you to do before we do anything else. I said, okay, what do you want us to do? He says, my brother's dying, um, and I really want you to pray for him. I said, all right, let's, let's go. So we hopped in this car, we ran all these back alleys to get to this, this guy's house. And on the way, I was sitting there going, okay, he's dying. I don't even know what's wrong with him, and I'm supposed to pray. And I'm here to preach to all these pastors and to do all these things. And I'm thinking, well, there's a bit of pressure, first time into the country, and I've got, you know, God. So I said, okay, Lord, um, I don't know what I'm going to be praying for, so I need you to show me something. Because what I've discovered over the years is that when you want to pray, it's like if you, if you want to know how to pray, or if you want to see a result, you've got to know how to pray, yeah? So it's like if there's a bunch of doors in front of you, you've got to know which one to go through. And you've got to know how to go through that door. You don't know the Father's will. So I was like, okay, God, show me something. And while we're driving along, I just had his vision very quickly of this guy with a witch doctor standing over the top of him. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. So when I got there, I thought, I need to talk to this guy. Well, he's been sitting in this couch for more than three months. He's emaciated. He can't walk. He's skin and bones, and he's got a big tumor on the back on his shoulder here the size of a grapefruit. It's literally sticking out of his back like this high. Up here, right? The other thing that happened was that there's about 38 people from his whole family all gathered to watch the pastor pray for this guy, right? I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I said, all right, I need to talk to him, but I need to talk to him alone. So I said, we need a couple of guys to carry him to another room. So they did. They carried him out to another room. And I sat there, and I said, everyone else go out. I just want to talk to him privately. So you don't have to embarrass somebody, you know? Like a lot of pastors kind of go in... They do the whole embarrassment thing. I don't think it's necessary. I think as a, as a pastor, you, you've just got to love on people. Some people are very prophetic and not very pastoral, and sometimes kind of wish that they hadn't have done what they did, and I feel bad about that. But in this case, I wanted to talk to him alone. pulled him aside, and I said, hey, look, i just got to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, I need to ask you, um, have you ever been involved in witchcraft before? He looked at me and says, well, my father was a witch. Like a witch doctor, Africa. I said, no. He said, tell me, I said, tell me about that. And he says, well, um, he said, when we were young, we had to participate in the blood rituals, which meant that we had to, as boys, we had to drink the blood of the sacrifice. I said, no. 
well, that's not healthy, <laughs> spiritually or physically. I said, you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to. And I said, you know, if I want to pray for you for healing, I'm, I'm going to have to get you to repent of that and renounce it. He goes, I can do that. I said, there's one other thing I've got to talk to you about. I said, and, and while I was sitting there, the Lord showed something else to me. I said, um, have you been cheating on your wife? Yeah, I have. I said, you're going to have to repent of that too. I said, because there's no point in me praying for you if you don't repent of your sins because the, there's no right for me to release healing on you. I don't have the right to do that until we've dealt with whatever's, you know, potentially causing your sickness. He said, all right. So I led him through prayers and he prayed, asking forgiveness for cheating on his wife, asking forgiveness for being involved in witchcraft and taking the blood of sacrifices and and I cut off the curse from his father. I cut off the soul ties to the people who he'd, who he'd slept with and did a few things like that. So I just prayed over him. I've had a lot of experience in this area, so I just knew what to do. Just prayed a few things. And I said, okay, we're good now. So I said, guys, carry him back to the other place where everybody is. We can pray for him now. I said, now I'm okay. I can pray for him. So we brought him back. And I just said to him, he's just sitting there, and I said, where's all the pain right there? We're going to start where the pain is. If you're going to pray for someone, start where the pain is. So he said, oh, the, I've got a lot of pain in my ankles right now. Okay. So I prayed for his ankles, anointed him with oil. And I said, how are your ankles feeling now? He says, actually, my ankles feel pretty good. He said, the, the pain's in my knees now. I said, all right, I'll pray for that. And basically, the pain worked its way up his body until it got to the point where the only pain that he had left in his body was in the spot where the tumour was, right? I said, all right. So I got everybody. I said, all right, come on, everybody involved in this. Let's all lay hands on him. I got, I smothered my hand, I dripped my hand with oil and I just slapped it all over this tumour. It's not a tumour. You know, it's like, Arr. and I prayed. And by the time we finished praying, everybody prayed for about 10 minutes. You know. And I just prayed to cut off all the curses, told the devil to leave the whole bit, you know, binding, loosing, everything. You know, I did the whole works on him. By the, by the time I finished praying for him, it was soft and pliable, whereas when I put my hand on there, it was hard as a rock. I thought, oh, that's, that's a good sign. And I said, how are you feeling? He goes, I feel fine. And he stood up and he walked us out to the car, right? Give him a hug and everything, took a photo, you know. Anyway... And I said, all right, I said, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going off to do some crusades. I'm coming back in seven days. I want to see how you're going. Right? So we went back seven days later, and he pulls his shirt back, and he shows me, and it's not there at all. There's just the, the watermark, like the white outline of where it used to be. It's like a, it really looked like half a watermark, like a stain, coffee stain on his shoulder where it used to be. And uh, his strength is already starting to return. Within three months, he was back at work. Like his strength returned, all his skin muscle tone and everything returned from eating and so on, and he went back to work. And all that because of a number of things, but it's, it's, it's about understanding that the keys that we have to the kingdom are, you know, we have decrees, we have petitions, prayers, we have obedience, we have repentance, and we have binding and loosing. And all of those things all converge together to see this guy get healed. Now, I believe that we can see a whole lot more. And even in our own lives. 
And uh, I'll tell you this one last thing, and it's just something that I have learned to do in my own journey. It's, it's a common thing that I often get. And as a bus driver, um, I get a lot of people coming on my bus all the time. And sometimes they're carrying stuff. They might even be sick, you know, literally sick. Um, they might be um, spiritually sick and they've got all these demons over and stuff like that. And, and I get all sorts of pains and aches in my body all the time. And uh, sometimes they're a word of knowledge. So it's like it's not my pain and God's just telling me that this person needs healing. And so I might pray for them. So sometimes I'll pray for people on the bus. I get a pain. Like, I've got a pain right now, right in the middle of my back, right there. And I'm thinking, somebody here might have a pain there. It might be just me because I've been walking around preaching all afternoon. But I'm just saying, I'm going to pray for anybody who's got a bad back right in the middle of their back in a moment. But what I've discovered that sometimes you get all these pains and you get these things and you get colds and you get flu and symptoms and everything just lands on you. You know, we don't have to accept it. You know, sometimes we just got to say no. And what I've learned to do is whenever I get something that I can't explain, um, I ask the Lord, Lord, is that a word of knowledge? In other words, is that someone else's pain that I'm feeling? Do I need to pray for somebody? If not, then it might be a, an affliction that's trying to get me. Right? I get a scratchy, sore throat in the back of my throat or my ears start to get a little bit achy or something like that. I go, no, I cannot afford to get sick. And so I just say, no, not on my watch. I am not getting sick. I'm not going to live with this. Yeah, I'm about to wrap up. So what I would say is that as I'm going through my daily life, everything that I'm doing is just about honoring God, recognizing that there are keys to unlock things. If I need to say to the devil, go, he goes, if I don't want to have this sickness, I don't have to have it, right? I st no. And I'll, I'll start, sometimes I'll just pray in tongues for 10 minutes while I'm driving the bus. Sometimes I'll just say, I cut off every, every ritual, every prayer that's been prayed over my life that's not of God, I just cut it off right now. I'm not having it, etc., etc. And I've found that every time I've, I do that, within 10 minutes of doing it, and I, I don't set a timer. I'm just saying 10 minutes later, I can't feel it no more. You know? And every now and then, I, the scratchy throat will come back. And I go, nah. And I haven't been sick this season, but I've, I tell you what, I've, I've prayed so many times to cut that stuff off me because I, I can't afford to get sick right now. And I'm just not going to. And uh, so that, there you go. I just think we've got keys. We've got to use them, yeah? So I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to go and have some dinner. If somebody does have a pain right in the middle of their back, around about there on the left-hand side, and I'm, I'm being very specific right now, there's a pain right in the middle of their left-hand side. If that's you, if you've got a bad muscle or a torn muscle or pain muscle, then come. I'm going to pray for you. Um, if you've got a physical pain you'd like prayer for before you go and have dinner, come and get some prayer. Otherwise, I'm going to pray. I'm going to release you to go and have some dinner. Yeah? All right. Father, I just thank you for the keys of the kingdom. I thank you what you've given us already and what we have access to. I thank you that we can also deny access to the enemy in our life. And there's ways of doing it. And I pray that everything that's been shared tonight um, that lands in somebody's heart will just germinate and actually come alive. And so we'll know 
what to do and how to do it. And we'll become stronger in you and we'll become um, more aware of your will and also more aware of the enemy's activity around our life so that we can actually thrive. I pray that every person here will come into a place of thriving in their life, that you would unlock doors that are locked, that need to be opened, and close doors that are open that need to be closed. And I praise this. pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. That was my wife a moment ago saying, the food's all hot already. It's ready to go. So that's like the indicator that it's dinner time. So enjoy dinner. Um, if you've come for the first time, have some dinner with us. Um, if you need prayer for healing, I'm going to hang around here for a little bit before we go and have dinner. Um, if uh, one, of the, one of the team or Sheck, if someone can go in there and say, Sheck, you say grace because Paul's praying for people. Just do that. Give thanks to God and get tucked into the food and I'll be there in there in a minute, all right? So bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au.